0: I am joined this afternoon by Kelly Kopik, who is Professor of Theological Studies at Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia. Welcome, Kelly.
1: Thanks, great to be with you.
0: Yeah, so I um, was introduced to Kelly's ministry actually by reading a book that he edited called Overcoming Sin and Temptation by John Owen. So John Owen is a 16th century puritan who wrote this book on sin which was really inaccessible and kelly helped to make it accessible to people like me which i'm super thankful for uh kelly would you mind by way of introduction just talk about how you first met jesus
1: sure um you know again thanks for having me on um i'm originally we live in georgia i've been teaching at covenant college since 2001 but my wife and i are um not from the South. Uh, we both grew up in California. We haven't lived there since we got married in 1993. But um, so in terms of, of my testimony, I grew up in a, um, a family that was Roman Catholic and we went to um, regular attendance in church and um, even some catechism. I was the youngest of three boys. By the time I was in the middle of middle sc- or of elementary school basically, my brothers, um, myself and my mom kind of stopped going. And not to sound um, overly dramatic, but really, my middle school years were like people's college years in terms of partying and all that kind of stuff just kind of went off a cliff. Um, and started my freshman year that way. And um, was getting into trouble various things. And um long story short someone said hey my brother talked to me one of my older brothers said you know why don't you start going to this baptist youth group uh, they had these huge wednesday night events there are 70 people or whatever there and and i thought hey i actually know some kids at party that go to that <laughs> so i'll go to that and um and it'd get people off my back and he was just saying it um anyways and but about six months i mean every week we do these great things um but every week when there was a talk, it really felt like, even though it was packed with people, he was just him talking to me. And probably six months in, um, kind of came to faith and committed my life to Christ, and slowly started to understand what that meant, and was transformative to my life. And that was a youth pastor who had not he graduated from Biola not many years before um, in this little Baptist church, and. There's a wonderful long story. But since then, he went on to go to seminary himself and uh, became reformed, which is the tradition I'm now from. And uh, he now is a pastor in Hawaii. And I've now educated his kids at at Covenant College <laughs> all these years later. Wow. So it's wow. cool the way the gospel kind of works.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What a what a cool story. So at what point so I'm, I know this is this is making a big jump kind of into the conversation that that I'd love to have with you about um, this particular book, but at what point, so you, you come to faith, and then I, I watched a couple of videos in, in preparation for this interview of other interviews that you had done. And in, in one of those interviews, you said that uh, John Owen kind of became a ministry mentor for you. Yeah. And so how did that come about that he became a, a ministry mentor in your life?
1: I mean, I got interested in the Puritans kind of later in high school for various reasons, even though it sounds super weird (laughs) and that that would be a a story, but um, then I went to Wheaton. um, And and studied and it wasn't really focused on the Puritans, but I did do history and philosophy and with Mark Nola studying the Reformation and others of patristics but as I went to seminary I got back into the Puritans. And started really reading a lot of Owen um, did an independent study with a great. Baptist theologian who since passed away Roger Nicole on on John Owen and then I went overseas and spent a summer uh, studying Owen with Alistair McGrath uh, McGrath back in the day. And that kind of got me started. But I I was interested I was trying to decide what did I want to do a PhD in, and I really wanted to, I really care about the affections and our emotions. And I feel like in the reformed world and the conservative evangelical world I'm from we're not very comfortable knowing how to handle uh, emotions and affections well. And I thought, no one's gonna care what I have to say, but if I can introduce them to to some of the tradition. And Owen, part of what attracted me to him is he has a lot to say in more holistic ways about what it means to be human and about our affections. So that started it. And then my PhD, I'd spend hours with Owen every day. (laughs) And so sometimes my wife would say, you talk about him like he's alive. You know, Sometimes I'm, I'm mad at him or I'm wrestling with him, but wasn't always happy. Um, but that's, I spent so much time with him, he became like a mentor. Yeah,
0: one of the reasons I contacted you too is, is the beginning of Overcoming Sin and Temptation, this book that I was reading, you um, sketched out kind of the impact that he had had on your life. And it sounds like there was a very practical impact that it had on your life, particularly these books that are kind of comprised into one book. Um, How has Owen changed your view of what it means to fight sin in your own life?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question because he's helped me tremendously. Um, I actually think part of what Owen is doing in those volumes and, and throughout his work is he's really doing early modern psychology um and i don't think we're always great listeners um those of us who are theologians and pastors and i'm not sure owen was a great listener but he was intuitive and he figured stuff out and so part of what you get in his mortification volume and on temptation is a lot of bible exegesis and a lot of he's actually a really good theologian you don't you don't see it in those volumes as much it's kind of in the background but but it's also very thoughtful psychological insights about how do you apply these things um and i would say though part of the challenge is his book like on mortification and on temptation those are really good and important books but you need some of the stuff he doesn't talk about in them to make sense of the whole because he's not so focused on jesus in those volumes he actually originally gave them as lectures to kind of you know Teenage and and above young men, but but if you don't have the the good news of Christ and the power of the Spirit, it can, which is never what He intended, but it can slip into kind of a a moralism, which is isn't what He Mm. wants. So it's a it's a tricky thing, but He is incredibly helpful in navigating our souls. I think doing some some Mm. honest self evaluation, very very helpful. Mm.
0: Yeah, that, that does resonate with me because I think I came in to the book with a background and, and a deep grounding in the gospel. And maybe that's why it was so helpful and continues to be helpful to my own soul, having gone through those books. One of the quotes, um, that I am kind of sharing with others right now in my ministry is he says, um that God just, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he says that God justifies us from our sin, but does not justify any sin in us. Hmm. And so he's getting at sort of um, Romans chapter eight, right? The first, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but that uh, gospel, the good news of the gospel is not made for us to take our sin lightly. It's actually meant for us to take our sin seriously. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I, I mean bit? I think
1: I think he does. He wants us to take our sins very seriously, and he's very helpful in that. Um, and in some of the other writings, some of this comes out more. Um, so I would both say yes and then extend really in the tradition what we want to say is he takes sin seriously but the the, the reason it's not justifying the sin in you right in, in other words like it's okay it's not because you need to feel more terrible about your sin it's because you're never more liberated when than when you're loving God and your neighbor and sin is what keeps you from that so it's not and, and sometimes I do think even Owen can can be read where people think they're just supposed to feel bad about themselves all the time and and mm. explore more and more picadillos and and get to all the sin, and the reality is the the reason why we fight sin is not just because we're guilty and we are and you know uh, those you know we we have sin, but it's not a scorecard. It's because we we're made not to be in sin, and we're more free. We're more liberated. We're able to love by resisting sin, right? And mm. so so to take sin seriously. But not to get to a, a neutral level, but to get to life, right? To, mm. in, in fact, this is part of the distinction between these words, mortification and vivification. Um, I don't know. It, 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 are you good for me to explain those to you? I mean, you probably Yeah, know yeah. No, now, no,
0: that would be great. That would be great. Go because ahead. Because
1: they're not words we use a lot. Um, it, it, and so one of Orwell's most memorable books is on the mortification of sin. And you're like, what, what does that even mean? But when you think, well, mortify, mortification, it's, you know, you think funerals and stuff. And, and that is the idea. It's, it's to mortify, it's to put sin to death. But Owen in the Reformed tradition and beyond also, and he didn't use this word as much, but it was crucial to understand what he's doing, is the idea of what we call vivification. To vivify, it's a great word, right? To vivify, but it's, it means to make alive and so you need this twofold dynamic um and i worry we tend to only have one so so let me get let's go concrete this might help if you, you we commonly in our evangelical circles maybe you hear someone someone works uh in an office and there's someone in the office that um say it's a guy and he's he's finding he, he's struggling with some inappropriate thoughts uh about someone there right um And the average, to be honest, the average advice that evangelicals give is, um, or someone in your youth group or someone at church is, okay, here's what you got to do. Find out when she goes to lunch, you go at a different time. She's on that side of the office. You do everything you can to avoid Mm -hmm. her. And so the first question is, would avoiding her be better than having inappropriate, lustful thoughts? Yes, that's a good thing. The problem is that tends to be the extent of a Christian vision these days. And that's sad. That's not right. The goal, because and, and there's a problem with it, because even that kind of advice, without realizing it, is a denial of this other human. It is, it is actually making them the problem. It's downplaying their existence. Mm-hmm. It is as if their body has done something bad. All these really problematic things. And that's not the gospel. So, Mm -hmm. you do want to go from active, lustful thoughts to not, but that's still not the Christian vision. That's putting that sin to death, but the Christian vision is vivification, being made alive. It's for you to grow to see that person made in the image of God and wanting her to flourish, seeking her Mm -hmm. good. That's the Christian vision. It is not stopping sin. It is... Seeking life—it's very—it's it, the same thing. Like when we gossip or slander about people, is it better if we stop gossiping and slandering? Yes, that's great, but that's not the Christian vision. The Christian vision is you move from slandering and tearing someone down to ultimately seeking their good and and thoughtfully giving words of grace and encouragement. And so that's why we have to know about mortification, putting sin to death, but also vivification—the power of the Spirit to give us life. Mm. so what would
0: be the so you sit down you sit down with john owen and by extension sit down with you and kind of um you mentioned before we went live just kind of a 10-step process that you might lead somebody through that you've led your own heart through that owen has led you to and so maybe with that example in mind um i've sort of had these two examples in my mind of something that that i really want to. Uh, teach our church and and grow in myself. And that's, you've got sort of these sins of isolation that people are struggling with right now. Maybe it's pornography, lust, maybe it's um, just anger towards those people that you're living with. And then you've also got these sort of societal sins that we're seeing a lot that Christians are tempted to to participate in. Maybe it's moral outrage, or um, it's, you know, flying off the handle in an email or in a in a tweet or on on social media. But how would you coach someone sort of from the tradition of Owen to mortify their sin? And you you said you had kind of a top 10. And I'd love to hear that.
1: Yeah, I don't tend to be a top 10 person. But I, I did create one um, It'll take a little bit of time. But let's go through these, And you can stop me as you go. Uh, this is my, this isn't me quoting Owen, but this is me trying to Take his volume and make it accessible so the the first thing I would say number one is examine the symptoms of sin examine the symptoms of sin and 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 so I'll, I'll tell you and kind of talk a little bit about each one but examining the symptoms of sin is I mean we all know this these days with doctors we feel like we're you go in and they're trying to get through so many people you start to say something and they're like, well no here take these pills this is what's wrong with you and sometimes that's great and sometimes you're like no, 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 you haven't even heard, right? You haven't actually looked at the rash. You don't know. Um, and so a good physician is going to look at the rash or whatever it is, and then ask a series of questions to try and figure out how serious it is, what might be going on. Is this a s- systemic kind of thing? Um, and that takes skill. Uh, and, let, and let me give you an example based on so the two examples you used. I Find you know pornography is obviously a massive challenge. It's a massive challenge for uh, Men in our culture, but it's you know I work with college students and beyond and and the percentages of women struggling with this are increasing too This is this is really a struggle for the church and the world um, but anyways, you know one thing I found is that sometimes i'll Be counseling working with a, a, say a young person who's dealing with this and if I tell them and I ask a series of questions, you know, I'm listening. It's not a set of questions. But sometimes I'll find as I'm asking questions, I think you have to get to the, the root of the problem. And, and if I say to that person, you are struggling with lust, they'll be like, yeah, I am. I, I feel so bad about it. But sometimes I'll say, you know what I think is going on here? I think you're really struggling with sloth. I think you're lazy. They get they get angry they get really <laughs> upset because which shows where we're at. We're kind of like, you know what I everyone lost It's a problem. I feel bad about it. I wish I didn't but all of a sudden, you're calling me slothful. You're calling me lazy and what I mean and And this is not apply to everybody There's no anyways, but but what I mean is sometimes you discover you have to get to the deeper sin the deeper problem and and the pornography or the those kind of things can be outlets for avoiding doing the hard thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually really hard to call someone up on the phone and ask for a date or to invest in a relationship because relationships with real bodies are messy and they talk back and they don't do what you want. And it's better to go in the dark and turn on the computer, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're stressed out by school and your grades, it's easier to avoid doing what you got to do. And That's an outlet. So Christians need to be thoughtful because if you spend all your time like talking about lust and and in terms of sexuality Sometimes you can totally be missing the boat Their their problem. Yes, it's sexuality, but you've got to get deeper than that before you can start mm-hmm. to deal with that And if yeah, I and found
0: it, similarly like with with guys um, a lot of times there's unresolved conflict with a a parent, you know, there's um, some deep brokenness and they're they've sort of got this, um, you know, affirmation vacuum that, you know, they're dealing with, right, that um, needs to be dealt with. It's kind of the underlying issue, the, the issue below the issue. Yeah, that really resonates. with me.
1: Yeah. And, and I love what you just said there, because so, so you what you're doing is you're, you're evaluating the symptoms and, and then giving the appropriate medicine so we'll often tell people just try harder when actually if you want to love that maybe you just need to give them more affirmation Hmm. and you're like no but i need them to take their sin seriously enough no no no. by helping them experience love it's going to lessen the power of this other thing Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah. so good yeah Yeah. number two number two would be i won't spend that much time on all but number two is know the consequences of sin um this is something previous yeah. generations were pretty good about and sometimes abused, you know, it would have been given the example again, you used, you know, in the 1950s, people like I, I you, you'll ask people like, yeah, I didn't have sex in high school because I didn't want to get someone pregnant, right? And mm-hmm. the idea was you knew there was going to be a consequence and then um, And then we would rightly sometimes say, hey, listen, that's not why you don't sin. You don't sin because you love God and because you care about these things. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm but then i've come to think no there's still some wisdom in knowing the consequences of sin (laughs) right and so until you know like uh, people who are struggling with friendship can also discover you can make a friend by getting together with someone and bashing a third person slandering Mm -hmm. them talking ill making fun of them and actually the two of you will become very close but the consequence of that sin is you've now built a relationship on Lies and and slander which means that friendship will never be deep because you will always wonder even at a subconscious level Mm. Are they talking about me? So so knowing the consequences of your sin can help slow you down and give you uh, Strength in the power of spirit to to resist Mm.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: Number three is long for freedom from sin's grip um and here here the ideas, um, we get so used to our sin, right? So um, here's a question for you. When you're swimming the English Channel, guess what the most dangerous part of that swim is. Is it the beginning, the end, or the middle? Uh, I would guess the middle. You're exactly right. And what <laughs> apparently what it is, is because when you're starting, you're fresh, but also that you can see the shore behind you and you feel it pushing you forward, And once you get to far enough, you see the shore in front of you. So even though you're exhausted, it pulls you. Mm. Everyone gives up in in the middle. Mm. And so that's part of kind of the Christian sense of long for freedom. We have to cultivate a longing. We can grow comfortable with our sin and we have to help each other say, it doesn't have to be this way. Yes, this side of glory, we're always gonna struggle, but let's cultivate a discontentment with sin. So we don't just say this is just who I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's something in that. Number four is asking yeah. if if the sin is rooted in my temperament. Is mm-hmm. it rooted in my temperament? Um, and in that way, you're you're asking. Um, it's not an excuse for sin. Let me give you another example. So when my wife and I got married, and we were living in Chicago. Uh, She worked at a hospital or real early in the morning and stuff. Anyway, so at dinner time, we'd come together at dinner at the table, and I'd ask her, How was your day? She'd tell me all about her day. Um, And then after she'd done, she said, You know, so how was your day? And I'd say, Mm -hmm. Some version of like, It was pretty good. And I was done. The classic, the classic man man response. And And I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just really, so it's interesting, you can go, well, that's just my temperament. That's just who I am. But actually it's not really loving my wife well, and it's, it's actually undermining some of my own humanity in that. So I had to go, okay. And my wife had to go, okay, this is kind of where you're at. This is in your temperament. So we're going to have a a long, slow patient view. My wife had to teach me how to talk, you know, in that sense of like asking questions, exploring things more. and so that's what I mean is all of us have different, te- and Owen's brilliant on temperament stuff. We all have different temperaments. And sometimes we think, well, that, that temperament is more godly than this one. No, no, no. Every temperament has strengths and weaknesses. And a passionate person, yes, they're more prone to anger. But, but when there's a social you know, problem, injustice, you want them there, right? Mm-hmm. People who are real calm and nice, we think, oh, they're nice. They must be godly. Well, sometimes when there's when there's, you know, a racist joke happening or something, they're never gonna say anything. Mm-hmm. Right. So every 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 temperament is a gift from God, has strength, but also has potential.
0: Yeah, yeah. Owen reading through Owen, I was encouraged by that. I'm always encouraged by that. Um, because some people I think feel like they got the temperament jackpot. And I'm one of those people who feels like they got the short <laughs> short end of the stick. So yeah. I'm always I'm always encouraged. It reminded me of um, Lloyd-Jones in Spiritual yeah. Depression because um, he's he's very careful to mix in temperament, even things like um, certain people need to eat certain things, get certain amounts of sleep. I know we could go off on that, but, but, but yeah, that's no, super helpful. Abso-
1: yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, number five, and you can stop me if you want to cut, but number five is be watchful for dangerous situations be watchful Mm. for dangerous situations. And people tend to immediately think of things like, well, you you know, guys shouldn't go evangelize at you know, (laughs) prostitutes or something like that, or or, you know, whatever. I think I that's actually, yeah, you need to be wise. But that's not I think what this is about. Um, So the neighborhood I live in is uh, I live on Lookout Mountain because Covenant College is nearby. And my neighborhood which goes back to the early part of the 20th century is literally called Fairyland. And I live on the the (laughs) corner of Mother Goose and Aladdin, right? And there are all these streets and this goes before Disney. They were all named after, you know, it's near Rock City if any of your listeners have been there. And it's a middle, upper middle class neighborhood, almost entirely white. And I would say it's one of the most dangerous things I do is live here Mm. because living in this kind of environment makes you think this is normal, makes Mm. you harden your heart to all the injustices in the world, uh, allows you to turn a blind eye to racial injustice, allows you to pretend that people are in when the vast, vast, vast majority of the world is not like this, right? And there's a reason why statistically, some of my other research is on generosity and stuff, but statistically, people in these situations are some of the least generous people because we don't live right next to people in need. Hmm. And and people who have the least income tend to be the most generous because they live where there's constant need. And so they don't have a lot, but they give what they have. Hmm. So that's what I mean is spiritually be aware of dangerous situations but don't think that that's just the obvious ones
0: Mm, yeah that's super helpful because because maybe the you're automatically going to kick into more watchful um frames of mind when the danger is more obvious to you that's uh yeah super super wise all right yeah yeah number yeah
1: number six is resist sin from the beginning um Mm. Owen says, I have this quote, uh, it's like water in a channel, if it once break out, it will have its course. And um, in a sense, it's interesting because when I talk to students about this or or different folks, this is often one I'll get an email about, like, resistant from the beginning, I, I gave up that forever ago, right? And Owen and I certainly don't mean like, once you've given up, just forget it, right? But I think from experience we all know sin gives birth to sin that gives birth to sin and mm. resisting that before before it goes um it's as hard as it is giving in doesn't make things easier it makes things harder so mm. so this idea of as you see new temptations or struggles coming um you get a job promotion you need to resist the greed from the beginning don't wait don't say well once i get to this much money i'm going to i'm going to think about greed or i'm going to think about generosity um, don't think you know racism these little thoughts and not a big deal i'm going to not worry about it until like like i don't put on a kkk outfit no 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 mm. you got to resist the heart things from the beginning Because they grow Mm -hmm. and manifest in different ways. Well,
0: that's so, it's such a poignant comment you're making about racism. You know, I'm in Minneapolis. And so we're kind of at the epicenter of the most recent, this horrible, uh, atrocity, obvious racism. But it's so interesting how, um, I think that one of the fruits that we're seeing in our culture of sin not being resisted from the beginning is that it's hard for, Many people to even admit that what they have inside of them is in the category of sin, and so maybe we tend to um, just point at the most horrible examples and say, well as long as I'm not participating in that, then yeah. I'm really not so bad and maybe that's why we justify those uh, compromises which maybe in in other people's sight are even invisible, but in in god's side
1: are horrible yeah
0: atrocities yeah that's
1: exactly it's exactly what we do and so we don't even think they're sin anymore and it hurts Mm. us and it hurts others Mm. um Mm. for sure um number seven which actually kind of relates to even what you just said it's a nice caveat is meditate on god's perfections and our imperfections meditate on god's perfections and our imperfection And what I mean by this is it's very interesting. When you ask most Christians, how are you doing? They kind of immediately do a mental inventory. And they think about the one or two, maybe three sins they struggle with the most. And they quickly go through that. And depending on how they're doing with those, they're like, I'm doing pretty good. Or I'm really struggling. But when they say that, they're really talking about those two to three things. Um, And I think that's so common in American evangelicalism. Partly because we've so reduced sin to your internal world. Um, mm. and so that's why things like systemic injustice or system sin, structural sin doesn't make sense to evangelicals. But but here the idea is make it a practice to meditate on one attribute of God for a season, right? Take a week and meditate mm. on justice, right? And what mm. you'll find when you start to meditate on God's justice and look in scripture and know read through i've been recently again and i started this before the unrest but i was reading through the minor prophets slowly again again and i was just struck by the plague on the evangelical church because we never preach the minor gospels is coming to bear fruit the (laughs) if if we preach the minor gospels on a regular basis we would not be going like hey this is social justice that's not the gospel just read the minor pro anyways So so when you you, when you start out you go I care about justice and then you start to meditate on God's view of justice It doesn't take very long you go. Actually, I don't really care about and I only care about it if I get it And so and what happens is you take God's justice and his love and his and you start to go through those things And that expands so it's not just our little two or three personal sins. We start to see the reality of sin as a problem, not just particular sins. And mm-hmm. then we can see the reality of the depth of God's grace much more richly, right? We're constantly mm-hmm. forgiven and given grace for stuff we don't even know we're doing, but it doesn't mean it's not sinful, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Anyways. Mm-hmm. That's, um, yeah, that,
1: that's
0: good. That's really good, yeah. Eight,
1: nine and 10, nine and 10 will go quicker, but number eight is don't fake peace with God, but, mm-hmm. wait, for, but wait for him. Don't fake peace with God, but wait for him. And this one is one I wrestled the most with, with Owen. But eventually through the years, I think he, and he doesn't put it that way, but I, I think he won me over. I think he's onto something. And it's, it's a, I think it's a heavy psychological insight. So I think he's thinking of this kind of thing. We, you've ever had that experience where you, you've really, you feel the weight of your brokenness and sin. You've done something and it's just all of a sudden you see it in a way you've never had and God meets you, and you just mm-hmm. feel drenched in his love and beauty. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. It doesn't happen a lot, right? But you have that kind of experience. It's great. But interestingly enough, what can happen is whether it's three weeks later, or six months later, or whatever, we find ourselves in the same sin or something like it, we feel the weight and so what we do is we try and recreate that moment so maybe you were on a walk or maybe you were in your car and you were listening to, to a song or you were on a you know uh, whatever you're doing you're trying to listen to listen that song and you're trying to you're trying to make yourself feel it right oh, and and you can feel what happens is even if you kind of feel god's grace or presence you don't believe it anymore because you can you wouldn't say this but you you can tell you're trying to manipulate yourself mm-hmm. and so so in that sense you have to wait for god i mean you should still do certain things you should repent and you should do right actions but no you don't have to manipulate yourself wait for god to bring his peace right mm-hmm. and um and yeah and, so this does know.
0: that kind of get into like um read your bible even when you don't feel like it like there's yeah. times I mean, in, in the life of a mature believer, it's always encouraging to me to talk to guys older than I am because their experience of daily Bible reading is like, you know, a lot of the time it's like, I don't feel any different. I just kind of read the passage. Maybe I fell asleep. Maybe it was good. And
1: I forgot it's a while after I was done. Yeah. Yeah,
0: totally. Totally. And I think sometimes we so idealize these times with God, or maybe when we talk, maybe I'm the most guilty of this as a pastor, right? It's like, we talk about our best time and yeah. maybe more often we should talk about our worst time yeah. of just being faithful with with doing it and then waiting for god to bring the blessing
1: yeah and that's how it works like in our marriages right some and this is newlyweds are always vulnerable to this because they've only heard the best times when actually the vast majority of a marriage mm-hmm. is just walking together in the bumps in the disagreements in the confusion and every once in a while you have these really amazing moments right? Mm-hmm. But you can't manipulate. You can do things to set up those moments. You do keep going in these places, but, but you have to wait. And, and the ordinary is not a bad thing. It's a good thing from God.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me, let yeah. me end
1: with, with 9 and 10. In some ways, I can treat them together. Um, but I alluded to this earlier in when we were talking. If you don't have 9 and 10, everything I've already said could be reduced to moralism. That's the danger. <laughs> it's a it's a self-help program right 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 so so number nine is trust in christ to crucify your sin trust Mm. in christ to crucify your sin and number 10 is rely on the holy spirit rely on the holy spirit
0: Mm.
1: and the only way to make sense of fighting sin is actually to rest in the triune benediction that we rest in the love of the father the grace of the Son, and the fellowship of the Spirit. And, and to be honest, my favorite, by far, my favorite work of John Owen, and I, I wrote a book on this and then edited that volume we were talking about, is his book on communion with the triune God. I just think that mm. is stunning. And he talks about how we commune mm. distinctively with the Father, and with the Son, and with the Spirit. Um, but, but this is key, right? Christ, your sin, your, it's not a soul. Christ said it's finished. He's crucified your sin. You're not going to be a saint. You are a saint because you're united to him, crucified and risen with him. And the spirit, the spirit is not just an idea. He dwells in you. Um, And so you're a saint and he's making you a saint. And, um, you know, sometimes my wife has been great. And I know others have said this, but I don't care. I give her credit for it. But she will remind me, she'll say, you know, God is more committed to your sanctification than you are. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's a beautiful thing. Right, that, those are life-giving words. God is more committed to your sanctification than you are. And we need to remember that. Yeah, why, uh, this is just a follow-up question. I'd love to get your take on it because it's a
0: question I, I've often wondered uh, out loud with good friends about, and that's why do you think that God sanctifies us so slowly?
1: <laughs> that's interesting, this, this, this book I'm writing right now is on human finitude or doctrine of creation. And one of the chapters is, why doesn't God just instantly change me? Yes. And what's your answer, man? Uh, The short short answer is, the reason we struggle with that is because we don't have a doctrine of creation. In evangelical circles, Mm. when we talk about creation, we think we're supposed to be talking about how God made the earth and when he made the earth. And that's not the main. But anyways, what we learn is that God has always taken his time, right? Mm. He, He loves process process doesn't scare him. It's what he does. And so Mm. even if you're say a young Mm -hmm. earth person and think, you know, six, 24 hour days, he could have created it in a second. And the fact it's still
0: a process, yeah, it's still
1: a process he loves. And, and he could have made everything gray to save money on paint. Right. And he didn't, he loves process. He loves difference. He loves beauty. Hmm. And so what we have to do, and I'm sorry, I'll, I'll finish with this because it's a longer answer but you have to tie the doctrine of creation to sanctification and when we've dislodged those that's why we tend to think of sanctification in very spiritual ways and so we think you have to have these special experiences no 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 to be sanctified god's not trying to make you more than human he's trying to renew your humanity he likes what mm. he made. he's not embarrassed mm. of his creatures he likes what he mm. made he doesn't like how sin has distorted it mm. so he's in the process yeah of renewing it
0: that so resonates with me we were teaching through ecclesiastes we took a a break from it and one of the prayers that started to come up in my own heart as we were teaching through that was god would you give me a blue collar heart Mm. you know just just a heart that um not longing to be super spiritual but actually longing just to be more human yeah and you know one of those spiritual things that i've been doing during COVID is just Trying to jump on the trampoline with my kids, more you. you know things like that. Totally. It's like sometimes I need to put down John Owen, yeah, and I need to go just mow the lawn or get my fingers in the dirt or
1: yeah, you know. I was I had this yeah I was just on the phone last week or earlier this week with a former student who's a minister in Southern California and uh, COVID's been brutal and and he just he's too left to himself and thoughts and all of this and I said you know. And it was part of the same thing. The most spiritual thing he needed to do, he needed to put down his book and he wanted read this book on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar that he wanted to read. That's not, it's not <laughs> theology. And to do it guilt, guilt-free. Oh, and we're yeah. just, because uh, we get weird in some of our circles. Um, mm-hmm. So anyways, yes, jump on the trampoline, make a good meal, go for a walk. Those are spiritual because mm-hmm. spiritual and creation go together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And then one day we look forward to the hope where we'll see Jesus face to face, and, and in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, we'll be with Him and like Him, and
1: and yeah, we'll be on yeah, the earth. Beautiful. Though, I mean, ultimately the hope yes. it is, you know, resurrection of the dead here. Um, mm. So yeah, 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 beautiful.
0: Yeah, would you mind uh, just praying for us before we're we're done I'd here? Thanks so yeah. much for for joining us and and leading us through those are super helpful ten things so yeah appreciate it
1: father god we do thank you for the great gifts of your son and spirit we thank you that you have not left us to ourselves but that you did not abandon your creation as it's fallen but instead have entered in that you have given us all good gifts in christ thank you that you are not distant but dwell in us even by your spirit that we might be able to call out to you abba father echoing the very words of your son lord i pray for um true and salt city and what you're doing in this church and beyond and i pray for renewal i pray for encouragement i pray that people who might hear this might not grow discouraged by their sin And that for every one time they look at their sin, they would look to you ten times. That grace would be the very thing that animates their lives to give them the strength to resist sin um, in the power of the Spirit. Uh, Do give us the joy of our salvation, uh, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.
0: Yeah, thanks again for joining us, Dr. Kopik. uh, yeah, for those of you who, who tuned in, I, my prayer for all of us is that we would be encouraged to grow in our relationship with Jesus and continue to, to fight sin and fight with each other in community, uh, for that. So yeah, thanks for jumping in. Hope you jump in with us again next week. Take care. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much.